0: Welcome to Results May Vary, a podcast to help you design your life. Chris and I have worked in the field of design and innovation for over 17 years between us. We've helped sustain a food revolution for Jamie Oliver and redesigned the way LA County votes. We've even engaged the world's most creative minds in science by turning their genes into music at TED. Throughout our careers, we always wondered... What if we took the same creative problem-solving process we used to help well-known organizations solve their toughest challenges and applied it to people's lives? Would it work? Would anyone listen to us? And maybe even scarier, what would happen if they did? Results May Vary is a thoughtful experiment to see just what happens when you set out to intentionally design your life. Results May Vary! In this episode, we introduce you to Saida Hafiz. Saida is the author of The Healing, One Woman's Journey from Poverty to Inner Riches. She's also a yoga teacher, wellness expert, and a holistic health educator with the San Francisco Unified School District. In this episode, Saida shares her story about finding a path out of poverty after an initial encounter with a holistic lifestyle led her to inspiring students, parents, and community members alike for more than 25 years. Because of this powerful transformation, Saida realized that life is too important to take seriously, making her the perfect guest to demonstrate the playful power of life design experimentation. I, I was really excited to have you on the show, Saida, because I wanted people to hear your story. And as we talked about a couple of months ago when we met, the podcast is about intentionally designing your life. And so what I thought was so interesting about you and your story was it sounds like from even a very young age that you kind of had an idea of what you wanted your life to look like and I just wondered if you could share with people from the start kind of what your background is what your what your story is Well the way that I look at my story is growing up
1: in a household that is chaotic and as a young kid you start to understand what you don't want and the plus side of that is you have an open canvas for looking at what you do want or investigating how other people live and really expanding into many different ways to live and not just one prescribed way. So I feel that growing up in a household that has exposed me to domestic violence, poverty, siblings try to manage this stress by getting onto drugs open up the door for me to say I don't want that for myself how then can I create something that I do want and then I I often use the analogy of I try on different pairs of shoes and see which ones will fit, which ones feel comfortable, which ones hurt my feet and then sort of uh, create my life from that aspect And because the family was chaotic, I didn't necessarily feel all the time that I had to have an allegiance to how they were living. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a lot of freedom, where it's harder if someone is coming from a line of lawyers or very successful people financially, and they're expected to take on the family business. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, I don't necessarily have to take on the family dynamic. And I feel like I felt that intuitively as a kid and teenager and and how I was continuing to grow up and then was able to put some words around it more as an adult.
0: Was there somebody in your life when you were younger that sort of uh, exposed you to other options? Or you said you felt like it was intuitive. I'm just curious, like, how you identified those opportunities for yourself at such a young age? Well, one part in the book, um, I do a flashback, and I talk about how
1: I would walk up the hill from school after getting off the school bus, and I think I was about seven or eight, and then I would go into the house, and there was this sort of window that would overlook trees, and uh, we had like these strawberry patches in our yard, Um, and then you would see sort of the highway and, and this bridge, and I always... It always felt like Wonderland or (laughs) make-believe aspect of like, oh, we can always go someplace else. And I remember walking up the hill thinking, this isn't my home. There's someplace else for me. And so that was literally an intuitive feeling. And even at seven, sort of watching myself, you kind of think, well, how do I know that? Or it it was strange. You know, like even in the, the same time frame, when I was eight years old in the third grade and we had, you know, the science section of the the day. I just remember thinking that the scientists almost have it right. Like I knew on some level that science was evolving and I don't know if that was taught because often the science curriculum seemed to be very factual, but for some reason inside I felt that it was evolving. And I felt that way about my life as a kid. And then I started... Um, there was, there was one adult where I remember her saying distinctly, I think I was about 11 or 12, where she said that she raises her daughter, um, without spanking her. And I was really fascinated by that. I thought, wow, like you choose not to spank because oftentimes it seemed reactionary. And so that she was one of the adults in my life. And I thought, that's a different way to live, and, and I can pay attention to that. And that meant that in, in her case, that you do more talking and understanding and, and really explaining to a child, not just reactionary or hitting someone.
0: That's really powerful. I, I wonder, from those experiences when you are younger, how did then that start to manifest for you? I think when I was
1: younger, it, was, it felt like I was just collecting data. And I think that those experiences opened up a window of hope, that I knew I wouldn't always have to live under the rules of my family structure or or non-rules. <laughs> and as a kid, I did strategize. I was I was the good girl so that I would get less of the the reactions of you know the screamings or being hit thought okay so just focus on because my parents did talk about education being really important and so I thought okay so one way to get out of this sort of living is to educate myself as best as I I can and learning was some bits of learning were easy but some were hard, and where I, even now I, I feel I still struggle. Um, but it felt limit, uh, limitless that I could always pick up a book and learn something new, um, and that it was something that, from the inside, that I could encourage myself to do.
2: Is that how it started to manifest itself, was through books? It sounded like you saw that you didn't have to live in a certain construct and I'm just curious when it started to manifest itself in action. I can't
1: say that it's through books. I would love to be more of an avid reader and have my life transformed through books, mm-hmm. but mostly it's it's through people and talking to people and I have this concept even as a kid of I guess I was a teenager where I felt that everybody was unique and added value, so even someone that people might consider shady, I always knew that there was something in them that I could relate to that I valued, and so I really listened to people, and I asked good questions, and I realized that people would, I don't know if they would say transform, but they would be, I felt like people would be different with me one-on-one than they were with a group, and so I always wanted to talk and understand the other person. And that's what I feel really has transformed me, where I was making personal connections with individuals, and I, I rarely kind of grouped them in a stereotype. So, for instance, in high school I had friends who were considered in the the druggy crowd or the all-black crowd or the nerdy geek crowd, the jock. I believe I describe this in the book where you you have a Monday through Friday lunch and I would go to different tables each day. So maybe Monday I would sit with all blacks or the next day I would be with all the jocks and the cheerleaders. So I'd go to each group because they all had something different that they were talking about and that I was interested in and it was new. And then it also allowed me to not pigeonhole myself in any of those groups so I could be free to move about the school the way that I wanted to and not feel like I had to, to be a certain way or dress a certain way to fit in.
2: And maybe it's a little bit of foreshadowing for our listeners. is What are you most known for now? So people get a sense of this, this buildup in your life and it manifests in something. So could you tell us a little bit about the book and what you're known for now?
1: I think what you mean is that... Yeah,
2: your superpowers.
1: Well, I believe that people like being around me because I hear them and I am authentic with them. And I had an ex-boyfriend who does appear in the book. He used to say boy, you really don't chit-chat with people. You go right in there and find out who they are and what they like about life and what makes them tick. He said a 15-minute conversation with you is not the typical 15-minute you know, chit-chat. Did you see the game or are you watching this TV show? You know, he said often you're learning about their grandparents and how they grew up and being with people and, and knowing their magic and value.
0: And then for the the work that you're doing, do you want to talk a little bit about that as well?
1: Basically, I've written this book called The Healing: A Memoir of Food, Family and Yoga, and it's encapsulating sort of how I got into living a holistic health lifestyle using food and yoga as tools to heal from chaotic past and situations and, you know, current things as well. Inspiring and being there to show others, kids and adults, how living a holistic lifestyle can make them more whole as a person and more authentic. I kind of coin my what I do as maybe like a big mom where you know I set the tone for how one can truly care for oneself and what that really means for that person. And I use food in a broad sense. There's definitely food you eat and I do cooking examples and teach people about different foods and what and how that works energetically for them you know making them feel more relaxed or making them feel more energetic Um, but I also look at food as what kind of conversations are you having with people around you that feeds you what kind of movies are you watching because those movies by the end of it's going to Um, nourish you in some way or deplete you. So everything you bring into your environment and that your body and mind can process, or it may maintain the status quo, so to speak.
0: And then you're doing work with SFUSD with the San Francisco Unified School District, right?
1: Yes. So for the first 12 years, I was teaching kids in the classroom how to chop and use metal knives and make food pretty much at their desk. We'd have a mobile kitchen and we would blend things together and from salads to art projects with food to using the oven to making soups, all different kinds of things and mostly with fresh and local ingredients, which was just really lovely in terms of having five-year-old kids start to see the power of making something and nourishing themselves and having it taste good and not using you know, sugars or processed foods. And then that extended into giving their parents um, education workshops, uh, family nights, we would do that, and then also working with the teachers, giving them professional development, because it, my job wasn't for me to set up to be part of the school forever, it was, okay, I want to um, show you how to incorporate this into your academic day, and how to use these recipes to reinforce academic lessons that you may have done in math or language arts, et cetera. And one of the nice things with our program at the time, oftentimes in the standardized testing, the writing a recipe sequence was often there for I think second and third graders to do. So we, we got practice by doing that. And you know kids would be making up recipes and remembering how to sequence a meal. So that was a lot of fun. And and then now I work primarily with the staff. So I have the educators uh, come in for workshops and learning communities where they can define what good health means to them. And operating from that base of like, why do I want to live this life? And then create a, a definition of holistic help for that person, as well as how they can define success for themselves. And so we are moving into that. And that, for the last two years now, has been really great work. I I love it a lot.
0: It seems really progressive for a public school system to have this sort of curriculum. How did you come to do this work in the first place? So the USDA was putting lots of
1: money behind promoting fruits and vegetables in the classroom and basically it was this aspect of let's tip the scale There seems to be a lot of lobbyists and things for the beverage companies and processed foods and all of those food industry aspects and advertising dollars lots of it go into those kinds of processed foods but now it's like okay let's give more education and um, advertisement around fruits and vegetables what's actually keeps us healthier we want to lower our health care costs and and go from there so the USDA was basically had responded to grants that different institutions nationwide had submitted and started to push this. and all of this was also linked into the farm bill those education dollars that were allocated at that time basically allowed me to have a job in the public school system particularly in low-income schools and and now those dollars pretty much have been reduced and so things have shifted where i am now is under a department that primarily has dollars through san francisco prop a funding to do professional development to teachers and staff and so Right now, I'm being funded by uh, Prop A.
0: What was the environment like when you first arrived at the school? Did they already have somebody who was doing a similar job to yours, or was this the first time that they were doing no, this? No,
1: we we introduced the whole concept of, of um, this program. And oftentimes, the way you would get sort of some momentum is to say... You know, I'm I'm like the Jamie Oliver of two schools in the city, <laughs> yeah. and we had about uh, we started with four of us on our team plus our manager, and um, and then it grew to about uh, ten of us uh, within like the last you know of ten years. So there was there was interesting people were excited and teachers were excited about the curriculum of teaching healthy foods and and bringing them into the school system. But you also have to remember that everyone sort of had their standard way of how school works. You're rewarded oftentimes with jelly beans or everyone has a birthday party. And so we came in or I came into two particular schools to really change the culture of Let's not maybe reward people with food <laughs> in terms of, and, and definitely not sugary foods. So it was really, it's a big, it was, a, it was definitely a change in culture um, and education and to also to try not to offend people who have foods that maybe throughout the generations are causing heart disease and high blood pressure to now kind of say, well, here's a healthier way to make what you've been or what your family's been making for over, you know, 100 years. And, and, and people are very emotional around their celebratory foods their holiday foods, even though it, it may not always make them the healthiest. And, and people don't necessarily want to be told that they're doing something wrong, you know, by somebody who just kind of has this job title. So I had to really become a part of the community and create trust. And so I just sort of would plant seeds. And my um, the thing that brought me the most joy was when to start teaching the five-year-olds, because that whole nag factor from a kid, which I know the grocery stores and all the um, fast food and industry foods have studied, the kid can nag the parent to purchase something. So I would encourage the kid to say, that they wanted to cook with mom or dad, and that they wanted to um, make a vegetable, you know, healthy pizza. And I had parents come to me and say, "How are you getting my kid to eat broccoli? <laughs> How are you getting my kid to eat spinach?" And and then sometimes we'd have these big family events, and parents would and we would serve certain things, and they were all healthy. And a parent would say my kid's not going to eat that. And I said, but your kid two days ago just cooked that with me and ate it. (laughs) So sometimes the parents will just say, oh no, they're not going to eat it. And it's really sort of having this whole aspect of, okay, everybody, let's evolve together. And your kid may not have liked it a month ago, but let's check in to see if he or she likes it now. And we're, we're quick to have hard and fast rules. This is the way I am. And, but I have to be very diplomatic because I don't want to offend the parent who, where I say, Hey, your kid does like that. And then it's like, well, how do you know my kid better than I do? And so it's just really, it's, it's, it's been interesting that way, but the, the kids will start to ask for things that they try and make in school.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking for people who are listening, like, what are some of the other principles? Like, what did, you, what did you say to the parents who asked, how did you get my kid to eat broccoli? What are some of the steps that parents can do to help this happen in their own home? Well, I say, we cook together. Is your kid,
1: Deshaun, cooking with you at home? He knows how to use a metal knife. We've studied safety tips. If your child is going to cook with you at home, he's going to eat what you guys make. And a lot of times there's that shift in the mind, too, with I don't have time for that. He's too slow or, you know, I don't necessarily believe that he could be safe with a knife. And so we go down that road. So this that education of your kids are capable to get dinner on the table and you cook together a few times. It's going to lessen your burden for how family meals are prepared and presented.
2: You know, we talked a little about your story and your background, and I'm curious, we, we sort of skipped over the step, where you found food and yoga, and then now we're talking about how you're implementing it in, in the school district, which is amazing. I'm curious, a lot of times when people are going through a food transformation or the way that they eat, it's hard to see the connection on any immediate scale where if I eat a healthy meal last night, I don't necessarily today feel so much better or so different or look so different or whatever. Can you talk a little bit about you use yoga and food to help people really make transformations? And can you tell us a few stories and one might be your own around what you've seen happen because of the work?
1: So one of the things I said was that Because I didn't have the greatest role model or role models for how I thought would be a good way to live, since there was so much chaos, when I got my college degree in business and computer science or management information science, I had sort of this vision and notion that, okay, I'm going to enter the corporate world because I received a job and an internship at a bank. And so I thought, well, okay, how do middle-class corporate people, how do they do it? How do I, how can I um, manage this? So I had this sort of image that I would learn learn how to cook and prepare meals, and I would get to the health club in the morning by 6 o'clock and read the Wall Street Journal, and I would be on the Stairmaster, and, and you know, and there was this thing called yoga in the background of my mind from college, but I didn't know what it was. And I thought, well, I'll join this health club if they teach yoga and and I'll sign up for these cooking classes. So I was expecting like a Julia Child's creams and sauces class and that I would be making, you know, lamb with wine, stew and <laughs> like that, that was my image. So then I thought, okay, and then I would go to the health club in the morning and then I'd take these yoga classes on the weekend, and I'd have this sort of, this lifestyle that would just kind of bring me home free. Like, I wouldn't be stressed out from how I grew up, and in fact, I even just stuffed that down. I I couldn't even say I had those two together. I just thought, I want to live this good middle-class life. The class I signed up for was a food is medicine class, but I didn't read the flyer carefully. I just thought, oh, okay, it's being done in this part of town. It's definitely going to be one of those, you know, um, maybe bourgeois, <laughs> the kind of classes, and, mm-hmm. um, and I would learn the thing that I am imagining. So I take this class, and it's the antithesis of that. It's saying how food has this power to heal when you have a cold, and, you know, you want to eat these things regularly so that you can Sort of manage your cholesterol and, and the cleansingness of your blood, and you know, you strengthen your spleen this way. I mean, it was all, all these different things that se- seemed right and true, and as if I already knew it, but I had never really heard it before. I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And then immediately in the class, it felt like, oh, this is something that can help me kind of undo or not feel. Um, kind of how my my childhood was. I just kind of continued to follow the path with this cooking and eating style. But in the class, there was this sort of slight challenge or mention of, like, go three days without eating processed foods or foods with sugar and, you know, cook foods from scratch and here are a collection of recipes. So I did that just thinking... Because I felt like a, a way to be in the world is to be a good student and to, and to kind of follow what is being presented to see if it fits me. So I did that and it was, it was almost like a dam had broken loose because I was, became very emotional one day on a bus around the third day. And just was having all these flashbacks about the violence in my family and was crying and just sort of feeling like I was falling apart. But there was also sort of this aspect of hope that was there where I thought, oh, this is interesting, where I'm no longer feeling numb and I guess not numbing my life with the sugar and the fast food and the processed food. And now I'm actually getting a chance to really feel my feelings. And so that was sort of my breakthrough with maybe this food does have some power or can this like can eating brown rice and steamed veggies and no sugar really be a way to to heal your life you know so mm-hmm. that's what happened in that aspect and then with the yoga classes my very first class i could not really hold the poses and was the youngest in the class the only african american and I thought, what am I doing? Um, hmm. <laughs> and midway through, I got this message that that yoga would be important in my life.
2: So. Hmm. And are you also teaching the kids yoga? Is that part of the curriculum?
1: When I worked with the kids in the last 10 years, what I would do is integrate the yoga postures with question and answer. So because part of the grant was to get the students physically active or have them you know move their body so I wasn't teaching in a PE class of any any sorts but I would ask kids you know if you agree with this statement in this way do this yoga posture and if you agree with it in you know say letter B do this one and then if you agree with C do this one. So everybody had to show me through their body what they thought the answer was mm-hmm. or what they were experiencing with something. So it's like if you like it, squat low to the ground. If you don't like it, um, stand on your tiptoes. If you think it's so-so, then bend your knees and squat in the middle. You know. So there was always something where students could move their bodies and communicate out as a, and then that way, wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily be so fidgety or expected to sit and not move?
2: <laughs> right. So it was
1: really kind of having them do sort of that mind body connection just with mm-hmm. participating in class. How, I,
2: I know I know our listeners are going to think it's uh, just in terms of another question on the food front. Is is there a particular food philosophy that you're following? It sounds like, and I appreciate so much about what you're saying in terms of you know, numbing through sugars and, and whatnot. Is there, is there a close food philosophy that parallels what you're teaching in terms of, you know, paleo or there's just so many different ways of eating. Is there a general way that you describe the food philosophy?
1: Yes. Okay. I follow what's a basic traditional Chinese medicine philosophy. I don't even explain it in terms of nuances. But I explain it in the sense that a food will either make you feel more expansive, which is called yin, or more contractive, which is called yang. And the way that I often communicate to my um, adult students is why and how a margarita can be so popular. Hmm. Because you get the expansive feeling from the alcohol and you get the contractive feeling from the salt. If you look at the center, like what foods are most centering? Usually whole grains. And even within the whole grains, some can make you feel more open and feel out, and some can make you feel more contracted. So usually like a brown rice or certain grains, I would just say a mixture of grains within the center make you feel more balanced. But that's only going to work if you're already kind of feeling balanced unless you are incorporating whole grains a little bit each day over time. And over time, I can say within a week. But processed sugars are going to make you feel very expansive, kind of that far out feeling. And then the opposite would be salt or uh, eggs. Eggs are kind of tight. You know, you have the whole life in there. (laughs) So that's how I would explain the food philosophy. Nothing is considered good or bad, necessarily. It's depending on how you want to feel with your experience with food. And I always encourage people to use themselves as their own laboratories. And if they feel like they want some kind of prescribed way, I always give them foods in the center. Fresh vegetables, leafy, as well as root vegetables whole grains, beans and greens, like that kind of thing.
2: And did you come to that point of view through a lot of trial and error on your own? Or, or how did you conclude that this was the way that you were going to teach? Well,
1: one is when I took the classes, I liked the philosophy, but it wasn't until I had the experience of mm. detoxing from the sugar and then adding things and taking things away and understanding that The food was one aspect, but it was also in relationship to how I was living. So if I had a very stressful work day, which is a very young, tight experience, that's why happy hours are very popular. Or Mm -hmm. ice cream, because it takes you to the other side kind of quickly. And it's like, yeah, I work really tough and hard, and I want something that is going to swing me back to the other side or closer to the middle. So I watch myself over time. And, and started to learn how I could create sort of a balanced life knowing what I know about how each particular food and experience has a certain energy quality in terms of whether it's going to move me from the center, in the center, you know, up and out or down and over. Or, so it, it started to be kind of fun. And a lot of times now I, I will look at something and I don't live by taste alone. Because a lot of times it's just like, oh, I want that because it tastes good. It's usually, do I want to feel like that by the end?
2: Yeah, that's such an often. That's so often the missed point. It's you know, it's all about the front end. How how what's <laughs> right. gonna feel like? Ooh, that's gonna taste really good. And then you know, oh, I'm gonna pay the price. In some cases, for days, you know, or that's months. That's right. So yeah, really interesting.
0: I've never thought about it that way before. So I'm just conscious of the fact that, I mean, for most people, this is not a typical way of thinking, but especially the populations that you're working with in the school system, the kids and the teachers, I would assume, as well as the parents. So, I mean, you talked a little bit about the mechanisms for opening their minds to that, but I'm just curious when you talk about it this way, what are some of the reactions that you get from other people? That's not
1: my opening statement. However, conversations have happened over time because some of our parents will have substance abuse problems. And I am, again, I go back to how I was growing up with finding each person fascinating, and it's my job to figure out what is fascinating about them. And I share bits of my stories with them. And and some some people aren't interested in hearing it. It's it's not a, a common everyday chat. You know, I'm not telling my five year olds necessarily of how it's going to make them feel for you know the elementary dynamic. I I give them foods in the center, and we you know we talk about food being you know the lesson would be around the five senses that how it feels in your mouth, what's going on, and so. I give them those sort of tangible, concrete things, and with the parents, you know, the, oftentimes different meetings may come up, or we just, like I said, we build trust and relationships to having conversations about what's going on and how they're feeling. And you know, I'm not a therapist or psychologist, but I do get into sh- just sharing, you know, what's happening or. Just, Sometimes I'll just may say something to the effect of, yeah, my parents went through that. Maybe you can try this and see if it just makes you how, how you know, see how it makes you feel. There's an entry point for a lot of people, if not everybody. And, and so, I, yeah, I, I pick my engagements um, over time and accordingly. And mm-hmm. like I said, sometimes one of the things, too, that I understand is one, I'm not out to change the world within the school year. What I do know is just as I have been shifted by small ways that people have done things, I just plant the seed and I just have honest honest conversations. And Like when I think of my third and fourth graders and I I did middle school a little bit too, people are curious and they want to know Uh, We did a whole advertisement food lesson for my sixth through eighth graders, and we talked about how decreasing one soda a day can impact whether or not someone expresses the symptoms or the, yeah, the symptoms for diabetes, or if they end up becoming diabetic. And one kid said, you mean to tell me one soda a day. My grandfather can decrease one soda a day, and it can start to shift how he experiences diabetes or may not have it anymore. And I said, yeah, definitely. Try that. <laughs> or, and one kid said, well, we don't have any power. The, you know, the marketing aspect, because we showed Beyonce and that she gets a million dollars for this one Pepsi ad. And they said, we're just kids. And I said, if every kid decided for one day to not buy a soft drink, the industries will lose their minds. They will lose so much money. And he said, we have that kind of power. I said, yes, you do. Why do they give someone that you look up to a million dollars to convince you to get that thing? And the kids were like, you got to be kidding me. So it's just, you know, I don't know how much they'll remember or what what they'll do, but with all my students... I consider myself the farmer. I plant the seeds. We see what will come up, and I don't kind of wear the aspect of I have to change the whole society this year. Say this is what I know. Try it out. See what you think. You have power.
2: It sounds like you know when you're you're working. Are you simultaneously working with the parents and the kids, or are you working? To, uh, let's see with the parents through the kids, what's your... (laughs) How did that work when I was doing that for 12 years? Yeah, exactly.
1: So the way that the schedule would work out, this is why I feel like a big mom. So I'd have cooking lessons during the day, you know, several days a week, and then I would manage and put on family health events, which then I would have kids run sort of health booths and other teachers, and then that would be an interaction with the kids. Then there would be some days where I may have one or two lessons with kids, but then I invite parents to come in at a different time and we have our parent lesson. And so it was so it was that kind of thing. Or sometimes it would be in the morning, I would be on the yard, and I would just have, say, for instance, watered flavor with fresh peaches and or some berries. And I would just offer the parents to try this. This we have this in class. The kids may like this just as much or more than soda. You know, or you can alternate. So it's just those sort of soft sprinkles of things. Um, you, when they do fundraisers, you want to sit in on the meetings and say, one school raised ten thousand dollars by having a fitness day or a walkathon or you know a game night as opposed to you know selling the cupcakes and the soda and the chocolate bars so and some things work and some things don't some people can't give up like no we make x amount on chocolate bars we're keeping that every year but okay Saida, we'll try your other stuff too (laughs) um one year we sold pumpkins tons of money didn't come in but it was an alternative and, and it's something that, you know, the same way some schools will sell Christmas trees. It's, it was a whole flow.
2: What are common points that people tell you in terms of resistance as to why they can't do what you're, you're asking?
1: Buying healthy food's is expensive.
0: Mm-hmm. That's,
1: that's one. Uh, it takes too much time to make a healthy meal. So one of the things, you know, I would have parents bring McDonald's for kids for lunch every day or, you know, often. And, and with that, the subtlety of, D- you don't tell me how to love my kid. This is our mm. special thing. And so you have, yeah, they're just different Amazing. ways to, yeah. And, it, and it's, and that's a big deal. Like, no, I can't tell you how to love your child. So what I've done in counter of, you know, say the McDonald's coming in. I do workshops and ask who's has lost someone from um, heart disease or diabetes and then just sort of set the tone with how and why that may have happened and what things can be done differently to keep our loved ones around, you know, showing them different ways to love each other.
2: If there was change something about the overarching sort of societal system what so what's one thing you would like to see change that could make a lot of this better for the people that you're serving
1: when I think about my middle schoolers I I fleetingly said one day well you know the new status symbol is going to be how many different colors of food you have on your plate the way that you will know a person um, say is wealthy or is is in the latest of trends is how many different colors of food is on your plate, and I don't mean Skittles.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Are you?
1: A- do you have red tomatoes? Do you have orange carrots? You know. So all of those those aspects of really looking at the color, but the key thing was status symbol, and they knew it faster than I could. You know, it's like, well, okay, I want to be on top of what's What's going to make, what's a good status symbol? Because the thing is that if I could change one thing, it really is the marketing and promotion of um, healthy foods. Mm-hmm. And And there's this whole other movement about not marketing to very young children. And we're talking six months, <laughs> three years old, you know, that whole, that whole aspect of what is being triggered in the brain to set up these habits that are not necessarily healthy. But in terms of my own empowerment with the people that I'm involved with, I would wanna do something around the status of it what people value in terms of what's important because that, that, that is a game changer. Um, and you know, I've had people say, well, I can't afford that. And the kids are wearing, I don't even know what Jordan, Michael Jordan shoes cost, or the nails are done every week, you know, and we're talking kids. Um, And so that aspect, we're shifting the value system of I know that I eat well or, like, eating well puts me in a different um, status around myself. Mm. Yeah, that it would be just as important as, I don't know, the name brand of something that's out there.
2: It's really interesting. Yeah, Yeah. it's really interesting and powerful. I I just wondered...
0: In the 12 years that you were working with students and, and parents and teachers, do you have any success stories that you're especially proud of?
1: When I was asked to teach the middle school for a year, I resisted. I thought, they have hormone issues happening. They're all trying to figure everything out. I like working, you know, My the grade I loved the most was second, third grade, but K through five was... You know, wonderful as well. What changed was I, I had a lot of resistance, but I, I went in with low expectations a, a, around what I would enjoy. And I d- decided I'm just showing up and I'm doing my thing. And by the end of the year, this school, and this was considered probably one of the lowest performing schools in the district, which is a whole other <laughs> thing. And when I worked with these students, it got to the point where there was enough trust and education and foundation put in place that I was able to have my sixth through eighth graders manage an entire health day on Halloween. (laughs) It was like on one of the most sugary days
2: (laughs) I and love they, that. That's great.
1: <laughs> yeah. And because they did hallo- – when I left, it was such a success. They did it the next year guided by the nurse. So it was it really transformed a whole day where chips and soda would normally be sold to this whole education day where the junior high students ran this whole health fair to the rest of their peers and K through five and they had all these teaching tips. And I was only one person, but everybody was, they rehearsed, they practiced, and these weren't necessarily the top-notch kids of the school. <laughs> and they were creative and innovative and did it Spanish bilingual. I mean, it, w- it turned, to be, turned out to be one of the best days of my life.
0: How powerful. So maybe you can't change the world in a year, but you could make some pretty big strides. Thank you for sharing that with us.
2: Absolutely. This has been really inspiring. Um, and your time is really valuable to us. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Are there any parting <laughs> thoughts you'd like our listeners or, or anyone that might catch this interview in the, in the future to, to leave them with anything in, in particular?
1: I think what I would really like to leave with, with everyone is this whole aspect of you know, how do you change yourself or save yourself, there's always, and I always come back to this present moment, there's you know, something you can do right this second as a choice that can move you more forward to how you wanna be or live or who you truly are. And when you take that feeling and experience with other, people, particularly, you know, kids and students. You know, I I feel at this point where one way to really promote more excellent teaching in the U.S. is regardless to where a student comes from, you and that student at that time in that classroom, in your one-on-one conference, the two of you can work to make the best decision to move that child forward and and the same with yourself. And I think that's how and why I have chosen a different path because there was an essence of I may come from all of this stuff that people will say statistically you are not going to succeed or you're not going to you're to have kids and no husband and no money and like all these things and and if you if I paid attention to all the statistics that said I was that I would not go forward in life it it's you feel very trapped. But when I really understand that oh, I have this moment to think my own thought and I choose this thought to be this, and that's going to move me forward.
0: When we give kids the opportunity to to just be themselves, um, they surprise you in so many ways. As I was even when you're talking about the kid with a knife, you know, the kids like teaching them how to use a knife at such a young age, I would expect that most of the people listening will be like, oh, What? No, you can't they're gonna just instantly kill themselves, you know. Right. But it's it... like, no, they're learning. It we teach them to use a knife like we teach them to brush their teeth, like we teach them to do anything. They need the opportunity to learn. Yeah.
1: I, I was keynote speaker a few years ago at um, the Ferry Building Coesa event. Oh, yeah. To mm-hmm. raise money for kids to come down to the farmer's market during school time. And that was my opening, opening line. The way to save our kids in low-income, underperforming school schools is to give them knives. (laughs) And then I went on from there with that very and that's that I I learned at the very first half year I was in the district. I thought they get together, they start cooking and they you know, you trust them with the knife. And then they start opening up to each other about stuff going on, and you just keep a listening ear. You learn so much about family dynamics and what they like, and they they all turn into eighty-year-old grandmas in the kitchen when they have these knives and they're cooking, you know. And I've seen it from five-year-olds to, you know, to eleven-year-olds to, to my uh, junior high school students. So,
0: thank you thank so you. much for your time. This was amazing. Thank you both. Yeah,
1: I appreciate the opportunity. Music